Welcome to Love Works with Chris and Karen Conley. This is Karen, and I am sitting across from my husband and the lead pastor at High Point Church, Chris Conley. We are so glad that you have joined us for this conversation today, and we are picking up part two as we have started talking about relentless leadership principles. Last time we were together, we talked about goals. Chris, you have more goals in your mind and on your to-do list than you ever could possibly navigate at one time. I am guilty as charged. That is a really important thing because most leaders are juggling a lot of things. Even if you're a leader in your home as a mom, I know that my own to-do list ends up being something that I have to navigate and decide what I can do and what I can't. So as we enter into this part two and we kind of shift to the focus of leadership, how do you specifically and how do you recommend for leaders to narrow their focus? When you think about narrowing your focus, it has to affect your time management. I have tried everything under the sun when it comes to time management, and I'm still not very good at it because I always have more to do than I can manage, and I don't have enough time to do everything I want to do, which just makes the concept of time management even more important. So let me preface this by saying this. There's a lot of different time management resources out there, and I've tried most of them. This is what I have found to be the most simplistic and helpful to me. The way that I try to narrow my focus, when I look at my priorities, I kind of put it in three categories. And the first category is this. When I think about my time, 85% of what I do, I have to say, you know what? 85% of what I do, anybody can do. 85% of what I do, anybody can do. So if anybody can do it, do I need to be the one in the organization doing it? Or is my time better spent doing other priorities? In every organization, different leaders have different skill sets, different strengths that demand that they do things other people don't do in the organization for the advancement of the organization. So I don't need to be doing the things that anybody can do. There are certain things that only I can do for this organization. So I've got to look at my calendar and I've got to say, you know what, 85% of what I do, anybody can do. I need to then find a way to redesign my calendar where I'm not doing those things 85% of the time. Well, the second category is this. 10% of what I do can be delegated. It's important stuff. I need to do it, but someone else is capable of doing that. I need to delegate to other people who have similar skill sets, who have similar abilities, and oftentimes can do it better than I can do it. And I just need to give it up, and I need to delegate it to them. 10% of what I can do can be delegated. If someone's sitting here listening to this podcast today, and they're looking at their world, they want to be able to kind of look and say, okay, what is it that I do that there's nothing special about my skill set that I have to be the one doing this? And if there's somebody else better suited to do this or has the time to do it, those things you just hand away is the distinction on that next section. It's delegating it. It's not that anybody can do it. You have to find somebody who has the skill set, but there are other people that have that same skill set. Yeah, that 10 percent are things that are definitely much more important than the 85 percent. 
And that 10% are things that I've done for a while in the life of the organization, and they're valuable. They make a great contribution, but I don't have to do it anymore. The organization's grown enough. There's enough leaders around me that I need to delegate that 10% so that I can get to my top 5%. There's 85% anyone can do. 10% can be delegated. So there's 95%. So you're telling me, Chris, you're only supposed to do 5%. Well, my top 5% are things that only I can do. What are the things in the life of this organization that only I can do? And if I gave my best time to that top 5%, I would get more results out of that top 5% than if I spent all my time doing the other 95 percent. Maybe somebody who's not leading a large organization and you're at high point and and maybe you're a mom or maybe you work in a smaller environment. I even see this for me in the fact that if I am doing the 85 percent and there are other people around me that actually want to be able to serve, want to be able to use their gifts and I'm doing what they could be doing, then I'm not only overwhelming myself with extra things to do, but I'm also depriving them from having an opportunity to step up and to grow and to use their own gifts. And something very important in this, you use yourself as an illustration there. There are times that when we delegate, we have to allow it to be done initially at a lesser quality than when we would do it. And I know your standard of excellence is so high, at times you're reluctant to delegate and you'll just take on more and more burden and more and more responsibility and work longer and longer hours to do it so that you can do it the way you want it done. But what we've got to do is we've got to transition and we've got to say, okay, if I equip this person, I spend more time equipping them to do it the way that I want to see it done, then over time, they'll be able to do it and they'll eventually do it better than I was able to do it. And then I can dedicate my time to the top 5% because this is the principle that's so important. I'm not held accountable for how much I've done. I'm held accountable for doing what God has called and gifted me to do. Let me repeat that. I'm not held accountable for how much I've done. I'm held accountable for doing what God has called and gifted me to do. And in the world of church ministry, in the world of nonprofits, in the world of accomplishing God's work, it's our job to equip people to do the job. We aren't the primary ones just doing the job. Church members don't hire us to do ministry for them. We equip them to do the ministry. That is really a convicting statement. I hope that you won't just let that run by too fast. I think about that in the context. Again, I'm applying it to myself. For the longest time, I kept really, really busy, and I was doing things that were good. But as time went on, I was convicted that I have been given the gift to write and to teach, but I wasn't doing that. And so instead, I was spending all my time doing lots of things, but not the thing that I felt like God had gifted me to do. Well, and so a perfect example of that is you equipped Jill Hollingsworth to do your women's Wednesday night program. And she's doing an amazing job. She's able to dedicate more time to it. She's able to care for the people better than you were, pray for the people more than you were. Not that you didn't love them, not that you didn't care, but because you had more responsibilities. So you delegate that to her, and now you're able to focus on your top 5% more and do the writing and do the things that only you can do. Because what we have to do is we have to say, what is competing with my top 5%? 
So if you need to spend your time writing, if you need to spend your time blogging, speaking, what's competing with you doing that? And you've got to delegate the things that are competing with your top 5%. Now, the other thing to think about and to ask yourself is also what drains me? versus what fills me up. So when you're trying to to figure out your top 5% versus that 10% that you can delegate, it's okay to do this. Don't be apologetic. Something that drains you might fill someone else up. So you're not just offloading the things you don't want to do. Different people have different skill sets, but you should delegate the things that drain you and you should prioritize the things that fill you up so that your top 5% can accomplish more. Well, I think about how much I hate to cook. That's something I wish that I could delegate. Well, you know what? Life is reality, and there's not necessarily somebody who's going to come into our house to cook. Some of those things, though, what did I do? We ended up finding a friend. She loves to prepare food. I'll go over there, and I'll prep with her, and it's so much better, and she knows what she's doing, and I'm learning from her. These principles, they apply to a huge organization, to a small organization, but they also apply within your own home, that you can find a friend who's really good at organizing and cleaning. And if that's your dread, then maybe you help her with something and she comes over and helps you with something. So there are ways to do this even in daily life. Yeah. In light of that, you have to ask yourself this question. What resources are needed to accomplish my priorities? What resources are needed to accomplish my priorities? And sometimes those resources are building those teammates and finding people who are good at other things that we're not as good at. And then we can accomplish our priorities because we're getting teamwork there when you can acknowledge what you're good at and what you're not and be okay with that but find the help you need to make up for those gaps everybody is better well we've passed that along to annika our daughter because she told us the other day that she was simply just going to make enough money that she could hire someone to do her cooking and that she could hire someone to clean her room that she didn't want to learn that but to show you that she is not lazy and she is someone that is driven yesterday we walked out and she was in the pool and she was treading water reading a book Because she said she needed to do her summer reading, but if she treads water for 45 minutes, it burns X number of calories. So there's definitely people who are productive but want to delegate in other ways. Absolutely. Well, all of this in light of leadership, we're talking about things that you have to be able to narrow your focus. But then there are some things in leadership that you always have to remember, things that are what define you as a leader. Are there some things that you would share with our audience? today that you say, if you're a leader, here's some things that you cannot let go of, you cannot forget. Yes. As a leader, don't always assume people think the way you think. As a leader, we're so frequently thinking, why don't they do it that way? And we're thinking that everyone thinks the way we think or everyone's wired the way that we're wired or they have our perspective or they have our giftedness. And that's simply not true. And so we've got to value each unique person in their giftedness and their different perspectives. But in doing that, we also need to say this. As a leader, never, ever, ever forget these two things, okay? Don't assume that they know. Don't assume that people know. If I'm a coach, what I've got to do is I've got to make sure that every player on the team knows the play. 
right? And then I've got to make sure every player on the team is in the right position according to their talent to be able to accomplish that play. That's my responsibility. So don't assume they know. I've got to make sure they know. I've got to give them specifics. Don't be general. And then second, don't assume they'll grow. Don't assume that I'm growing as a leader, that none of us are growing unless we're intentional, unless we're disciplined. And so just because you have leaders in your organization, you cannot make the assumption that they already know, and you cannot make the assumption that they will grow. And the third part of that is because vision always leaks. Give us an example as we're giving people kind of a behind the scenes look. You've just talked about some big principles that anybody can apply. But how does these ideas spell themselves out in the life of High Point specifically? There are certain people that are readers. And then there are some people that aren't readers. You can't assume that everybody is reading and staying current on the latest trends. Some of the things that we do is we recommend for some people, if they're not readers, we would buy them the book in an audio format. For some people, it's listening to podcasts. That's their learning mechanism. And so it's okay for people to learn different ways, but we need to put it in the format that is best for them. Is it watching a video? Is it a podcast? Is it reading? So I can't make the assumption that everybody's going to learn the same way. I've got to make sure I give them the content in the way that's best for them. But also, I can't make the assumption that everyone's driven to learn. And so I've got to set expectation and a goal that we believe in leadership development. We believe in professional development. What we're going to constantly do is we're going to bring resources to you, not just delegate that you do that on your own, but we're going to provide some leadership development as an organization. And are you saying that in the context of your staff, the High Point team? or the body or both? Well, I think it applies to both. It begins with the staff. It begins with your leadership team and whatever organization you're in because that leadership team sets the tone for the people that they lead. If the people that are the leaders are always progressive and they're always growing and they're always learning, then they create a culture that is a learning culture. But if people become stagnant or they become content, then you can only lead people most of the time as far as you've been. Some people will take the initiative and lead right beyond you, but initially you need to be the pace setter. Yes, professional development, definitely. But that same thing is true when we look at our team. You can't assume that they're growing spiritually either, that we put things in place to prioritize and protect their growth in their own walk with the Lord. Is there something you would add to that? Frequently in ministry, people make the mistake of being so busy working the work of God, doing the work of God, that they destroy the work of God in them. So it's absolutely essential that everything that you do isn't for somebody else, but you have what we call a priority time. You have these times where you're just making sure that you be still and know that he is God. You are making sure that your worship is not just leading someone else in worship, but you prioritize those moments for yourself to nurture your own spiritual life and to be vibrant in your own way. As we have been blessed to be able to add some incredible team members to the High Point team, often we are having conversations with potential staff members and really trying to caution them that sometimes people have this misperception of working on a church staff that everybody sits around and holds hands and sings Kumbaya and there's really not a lot of work 
work. And the truth is, God has called us to a lot of work and that there's a stewardship principle that we want to do things in excellence, but at the same time that they have to fiercely guard their own walk and not assume because they're in a church building that somehow they're becoming more godly. It does not happen for any of us just by being there. So as we move on, we've talked about the fact that vision leaks, and that's something that you are continually casting vision to people. For a leader, what are some things that never change? We need to never make the assumption that everybody is naturally wired to just grow and to be proactive instead of reactive. So one of the ways that I like to say that the thing that never changes is we have the challenge of taking people from fans to followers. It is a constant challenge. It's easy to be a fan. It's easy to buy a ticket. It's easy to watch it on TV. It's easy to cheer for your team when your team's winning, but to abandon your team and jump off the bandwagon when they're not winning. It's so easy to be a fan. It is hard to be a follower. Easiest form of buy-in is to be a fan. But we're constantly, as a leader, we are challenged to move people along the progression from fans to followers. Let me give you another illustration of this. When you go to a restaurant, they put the menu in front of you. It is just the most natural thing, the easiest thing in the world to sit there and to read from that menu and think about what you prefer, think about what's going to taste great, think about what's going to fill you up, okay? What is going to fill you up? What is going to be a great experience? But you never get filled up until you eat the food. You can read from the menu all day long, but reading from the menu is not the same thing as eating the food. Being a fan is not the same thing as being a follower. Being a fan is not the same thing as being a player. It's our responsibility to constantly lead people in such a way that we challenge them to take the next step of commitment. That leadership, like you said, there are always going to be people. And in a healthy church, you are always reaching new people. So those fans are going to be there. But that job is to keep moving everybody in that direction of becoming a stronger and stronger follower. And that means there are a lot of decisions that happen behind the scenes that have to practically be made for a church to be able to take people from fans to followers. Can you maybe give us an idea of some of of the guidelines that High Point uses that you personally use kind of behind the scenes in all of the decisions that are made. One of the things that's important when you lead a team is to understand that variation is evil. Now, that's a strong word, okay? That is. Now, variation is evil. What do I mean by that? If everybody on your team makes decisions according to a different set of guidelines, then you're in trouble. If everybody on your team makes decisions according to a different set of values, then you're going to have all kinds of inconsistency. So what we try to do is we try to give people guidelines to think through in their decision-making process to help us make wise decisions instead of unwise decisions. So the first guideline is this. Whatever you do, ask yourself this question. Does this decision compromise Jesus and his word? That's a pretty important place to start, because obviously, if the answer is yes, if it does compromise, then you need to stop right stop there. Stop right there. 
the first thing, front and center, does this compromise Jesus and his word? We must never, ever, ever compromise or take away from Jesus in any way, and we're never going to compromise his word. So that's obviously a very foundational guideline that everybody in our team has to ask first. What are some other guidelines? Does this decision negatively affect our vision? All right, our vision is to prove that love works. And so if I make a decision that I'm going to take a stand on a controversial issue, but I'm going to do it in a mean-spirited way instead of offering compassion without compromise, never compromise God's word, never compromise Jesus. All right, but what I've got to do is I've got to communicate in such a way that I care about people and I stand up for the truth of God at the exact same time. So does this decision negatively affect our vision? Let's not affect the vision negatively of proving that love works. We've got to allow love to cover a multitude of sins. We've got to allow love to be the thing that never fails. And therefore, we've got to allow love to be the only thing that always works. The next one that I'm looking at here says this, is this something that we can genuinely be excited about? If not, don't do it. Yes, we have plenty to do. So don't just do things in an unnecessary way. Don't just do things because someone recommended it and, you know, sure, it's a good idea. There's lots of good ideas, especially when you're in the context of ministry. But you got to narrow your focus and you got to say, am I really excited about this? Am I passionate about this? Is this in alignment with our vision? Is this in alignment with our goals? Does this fall into our strategy of how we can accomplish this? If you're not genuinely excited about it, guess what? It'll become duty. It'll become obligation. It'll become something that you just dread doing versus if I'm genuinely excited about it, there's going to be times I don't have time to do it, but I'm going to go the extra mile to do it because I'm excited about what God is leading us to do through that ministry. And I think that's important for people to understand. I know a lot of times people have good ideas. They want the church to be able to help facilitate that good idea and that we do try to discern and pray, where is God at work and join him? But there are times in that that if we don't see that God is at work, that he has called us to take a champion of that, that that may be something that God is going to use individuals to do, but that we can't do everything. Everything or we'll do nothing well. It's called the positive no. Sometimes we have to use the positive no because there's a greater yes out there. As we keep moving, we have a couple more guidelines that I think are important for people to hear. Is this a temporary solution? What does that have to do with your decision-making process? There are times that we have to look and we have to say, sometimes we need a temporary solution. But we've got to be careful that this temporary solution isn't well thought out. And if we travel down this road, it may cost us more to solve it in a temporary way than if we were to solve it in a long-term way. What we've got to do is we've got to say, no, 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 no. We're not just going to do what is easy. We're going to do what is right. So sometimes we feel the pain of a situation so much, and we sometimes hear complaints and stuff that we just want to solve it in a temporary way, a quick and easy fix. But then it becomes more difficult to work out of this temporary solution, and it's only temporary. And when you go toward the long-term fix, the long-term solution, you have to work yourself out of the previous one, and you just doubled your work. 
thinking about that in the context of our serve process, that we have been aware that there's some ways that we need to improve our serve process. And there was a way to make a temporary solution, but we've said, no, let's do this the right way. So they're going to pilot the program. And then once we know we've worked all the kinks out, then we'll have that permanent solution. Just for people to know behind the scenes, there are sometimes we are aware of things that as we have grown so fast, that there are problems that need to be solved and they might not be solved in a week, but hopefully that's because they're being addressed in a way that we're going to have a permanent solution that helps the kingdom in a long-term perspective, not just in the week to week. Well said. A few more that we have before we run out of time for this particular podcast. Is this adding more to the plate or making things simpler? Simplicity is the hardest thing to achieve. It requires enormous amount of work to remain simple. So sometimes good ideas just simply add more to the plate. But what we've got to do is we've got to say there's a difference between a good idea and a God idea. There's a difference between a good idea and a great idea. We've got to think in the world of steps, not necessarily programs. Let's not just add program after program after program, because sometimes we add a program because a previous program wasn't working. But if we just went back and we fixed the previous program or an existing program, if we just fixed it, that would be the simpler solution instead of just adding something else because the other thing's broken. So sometimes we just got to fix what's broken. Sometimes we got to get rid of what's broken. Sometimes we don't kill enough things in church. I know that sounds funny and weird, but it's true. Sometimes we got to say that horse is dead, dismount, get off of that horse. All right. And we have got to focus on what is it going to mean to focus our attention and be simple. This is one of your guidelines. Is this excellence or extravagance? That is so, so important. We are called in Scripture to do all things in excellence unto the Lord. And sometimes that's a fine line because it's a matter of someone's perspective. It's a matter of someone's opinion, whether this is excellence or extravagance. And if we don't provide excellence, then we are doing a disservice to the Lord and a disservice to the people that we're trying to reach. We can't ask people to turn off their customer mentality. They're a customer everywhere they go. And when they come into church, they kind of have this consumer mindset and this customer mindset. And yes, we want to take them from a consumer to a contributor, but we've got to realize that first impressions are thrillers or killers. And that if you do things in excellence, it's going to contribute to people thinking, well, maybe they teach the word of God in excellence. Maybe they love in excellence. Maybe they do other things in excellence. But if you cross the line from excellence into extravagance, then the first impression's negative. Is that really necessary? Is this more about them than it is God? And it just puts a suspicion in their mind and it caused them to question stewardship. So it's a fine line. But here's something that I know a lot of churches do that I think is wise. And, and I think we should adopt this at some point in time. We've not done this. But a lot of churches will dedicate 1% of their budget to upgrades in key areas. And they say, you know what? We need excellence everywhere. We don't want to be in that extravagant category, but we're going to dedicate 1% of our budget to really doing something super, super well in strategic areas so that people can see that, experience that, benefit from that. But we're still a good steward. Oh, that's a great way to handle it, to find it in balance. Well, that brings us to the end of our time for this particular podcast. Is there one last thing that you might want to contribute for this last guideline? And that is, am I looking at what is good for the church or good for my area? What are your final thoughts for today? Ultimately, we have to be a team player. 
So there are times that there are competing values in the life of a church, and there's different teams wanting something at the exact same time, but there's only a limited amount of dollars. So there's times that a team has to say no to their preference, their desire, their need for the good of another team, for the greater good of the church. I've got to say, ultimately, I'm going to make my decision based upon what is good for the church, not just good for me. Hope this has been helpful inside look at High Point and some helpful leadership principles. We would love for you to check out highpointmemphis.com or either of our blogs at chrisconley.net or karenconley.com. But more than anything else, we want you to remember that love God plus love people equals love works. 